Please join me as I pray. Gracious Father, we bless you on this beautiful day that you've created. We thank you for this Trinity Sunday. Father, when we recognize your plan of of mercy and grace upon us from the beginning of time, that you would send your Son to be the one who paid the price for our sins, who came to make us white as snow. And you didn't leave us alone. You gave us your Spirit to fill us and dwell in us. So on this Trinity Sunday, we bless you, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. We make our prayer come Holy Spirit, take this glorious truth of yours, let it, let it become real and alive to us today, and through your grace, would you transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning, we're beginning a new sermon series, a journey through the book of Psalms. I'm really excited about looking at different psalms this summer because one of the things the psalms do for us is they stir in our hearts deeper and deeper um, passions for worship. They they remind us, they turn our eyes to who our God is, this great, awe-inspiring, wonderful, faithful, loving God. In the psalms, we see all kinds of topics. I love the psalms because They were written from real people inspired of the Holy Spirit, but written from people who know life just like you and me. They know the struggles of life. They know the joys of life. They know the roller coaster of life that we can so find ourselves on, and they bring us back to the truths and help ground us. The Psalms remind us that God is a God of mercy He's a God of loving kindness. His steadfast love is a theme throughout the Psalms. That God is a God of justice. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of hope and renewal. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 1. We're going to begin where it begins and look at Psalm 1. And and as we do, I want to throw out a question to you to think about for a moment. And here's the question. If I were to ask you to write down one word, just one word, that would describe the climate in which we live today, what word would you write down? What's one word that you would use to summarize where our culture is today? I wonder what that word would be if you were to write that down. Can I tell you the word that first comes to my mind? It's this, destabilization. Destabilization. Think about it. Destabilization occurs when people live with no regard to a created order, but rather seek to create order on their own. We see that all over the place, don't we? It happens when when something comes to undermine or confuse the fundamental foundations of God creating this world and us and everything in it. When I think about destabilization, I think about the destabilization of human identity, that's in question. I think about the destabilization of marriage, the destabilization of family, of truth, of community. And, and you know, the list can go on and on. And, and when you think about it, destabilization happens in a community when we try to make sense of life on our own. When we try to write the rules or we try to make it to where we're going to flourish on our own. You see, when we try to do that on our own, instead of really flourishing, we actually find chaos in our lives and around us. 
When I think about the fears that so many people are living with today, and I talk to people often about different fears that are going around, I can't help but think that it's often probably a result of living in a time of destabilization, where we are here, where we are um, all around the world. But what I want you to see is Psalm 1 is an invitation to life. Psalm 1 is an invitation for life for you and me. It's an invitation because it, it invites us to a life that's unshakable. It invites us to a life that we can live on a firm foundation, even when things around us may be going awry. There is a foundation, and the, and the author of Psalm 1 shows us what it is. It's a psalm that speaks to the reality of humankind, Right? And the psalmist, as you'll see, you heard it read, or we read it together a moment ago. I'll read parts of it again. It's a psalm that's very real and can be jarring and shocking. But it's a psalm I want you to hear that invites us into life. And I hope you find that this morning. Well, the book of Psalms with Psalm 1 opens with this word, blessed. What a word to begin the book of Psalms, these 150 psalms, to begin with the word blessed. Here's what the word blessed means. It means total fulfillment, complete well-being, total happiness in life, a life where there is an inner joy, an inner contentment. It's it's not a contentment based on our circumstances because our circumstances change every day and sometimes they change all throughout the day. But there is a way that we can have a blessed life where we have an inner peace, an inner joy a deep sense of uh, contentment when we see what this blessed life is all about. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The question we're going to pose, or I want to pose, is this. How do we find it? How do we find this blessed life? How do we find a life that can actually be filled with joy, peace, happiness? Because another word for blessed literally means happiness. How do we find it? And what does it look like? So we're going to look at in Psalm 1 this morning three points I'm going, to, I'm going to name briefly. First, the path to avoid, right? The psalmist tells us there's only two paths in life. And so he starts out with know the path to avoid because it's not going to get you what you think it's going to get you. Secondly, we're going to see the path to take, the path that we're actually invited on to find life. And then we're going to look at where is this blessed life really found, okay? So let's first dive in. As we look at this psalm, the psalmist tells us that there are only two paths that one can go down. One is the path of righteousness. The other is the path of wickedness. He names those specifically in there. We're going to look at them. One pursues the wisdom of God. One pursues the wisdom of the God who created this world who knows how to give us what we all long for. The other pursues the path of the wisdom of the world. And it will see it's a counterfeit path to life. It's not a path that's going to give us what we really think it will. You see, there's a right way to live and a wrong way. There's a way that leads to life, and there's actually a way that leads to death. And I love that, that God is opening this book of the Psalms to us with, with, such, a, with such a challenge, but yet such a promise right? And it's a wake-up call for us in a lot of ways to see what life am I living? What path am I going down? And to say, God, do I want to follow the path that really leads to life? That's the invitation in Psalm 1. So he begins with this path to avoid. 
In verse 1, we read, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, I think about that introduction, and I think about this. We're always listening to something, aren't we? We're always listening to something. In this age of unlimited information, there's so many places we can go for wisdom. There's so many places we can go for insight to try to figure out how do we live life in this world today. There's so many places, but we need to be asking ourselves these questions. Who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? Who am I following? Who am I allowing to influence my life? You know, since social media really has has skyrocketed, especially in the probably past decade, this whole new industry of influencers are, are all out there. They're influencers in every sphere of life. They're gaming influencers. If you like to game, I'm sure you follow some of them that tell you what the next game is and how to play it and all of that. There are bloggers and vloggers. There are beauty and fashion influencers that I'm sure a lot of you all follow. They're activist influencers. They're thought leaders who are influencers. And these folks can make a lot of money by sitting behind their computer, right? But they've got a message. There's always a message that you and I are confronted with. There's always information that someone's wanting to communicate to us. Think about it this way. Every TV show has a message, doesn't it? Every movie has a message. Every character has a worldview that they're inviting us into. Every song has a message. And we have to realize all these different influences that are coming at us as we're receiving information constantly. We've got to realize this. None of us are passive to those influences that are coming to us. The question we need to ask ourselves is this, what are the voices that we're allowing to surround ourselves with? What are the greater voices that we're welcoming in? Because here's the reality, whatever messages we give ourselves to, those messages are ultimately going to shape our lives, right? Whatever we give ourselves to, whatever influences are out there that we welcome in and receive, those are ultimately going to shape our lives. And so the psalmist in verse 1 is opening our eyes to realize there is a path. There are messages that actually don't lead to life. They lead to death. And he puts it this way again. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What the psalmist is doing, he's kind of giving us a progression, right? It's like this. There's, 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 There's messages that we're wanting to hear and we're listening to. And when he talks about the wicked here, those are ones who really want no part of God. Those are ones who have said, I don't want God. I don't want the things that are in God's Word. I want to live life on my own, right? I want to do things my way. And so when we begin to listen to their voice, listen to their counsel, the one who uh, walks in that way, you begin to be influenced by them, right? You begin to take on what they're saying. As you listen, you begin to adopt their truth into your life. It becomes real for you. The next step is this. He says, don't stand in the way of sinners. This whole idea of standing in the way is literally saying, don't adopt the lifestyle that those who aren't following the Lord have adopted. Don't adopt their lifestyle. There may be things that look appealing But be careful, it's ultimately a trap. It doesn't get us what we want. 
You see, by standing in the way of sinners, we're standing in solidarity saying, I want your lifestyle to become my lifestyle. I want your way of life to be my way of life. And their habits then become our habits. And then he goes on in this progression, and he says, then you, will, you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, when we sit in the seat of someone, we've actually become one of them. And a scoffer is someone who really just thumbs their nose at God, who says, I see these things of the Bible and those truth claims that you say are true. I don't see them. I don't want anything to do with them. There are messages all around us, friends, today that are wooing us so subtly away from truth to, to follow this way of life. And the psalmist says, be aware who you're following. Be aware who you're listening to if you really want to know and find life. So that's the path not to follow. We need to be aware who we're listening to. But then he tells us what is the path where we do find life in this way. And we see that in verses 2 and 3. The psalmist writes, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And I want to talk about this for a second, this, this other way where we actually find life. The psalmist writes, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He didn't say his duty, right? Sometimes we can look at God's Word and go, okay, it's just duty. And we can go, okay, I've got to do this, or I'm supposed to follow this or, or do that. And that becomes duty. But delight is out of a heart that's been transformed by God's grace. The light is when we know the God of the Bible. The light is when we know who he is and what he's done for us. And when he talks about delighting in the law, he's really talking about the whole of the scriptures that open our eyes to the magnificence of who God is and the grace that he came to bring us. I love what Jesus wrote in the Gospels, or what he said He said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to lead us down a path that that, that seeks to promise life. But I can tell you, I've gone down that path. (laughs) I know what that path is like, and it never brought me life. He said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come that you would have life to the full, life abundantly. And what the psalmist is saying, and Jesus is echoing these words, if you want to have life, if you want to know a happy life, a life where you can actually have joy, it is coming and finding life through the path of the Lord, through his word, through, his tr- through trusting in his word. And he, and he writes, and on his law, he meditates day and night. I love that picture. He meditates day and night. I think a lot of us may not really have a good picture of what it means to meditate, right? Sometimes we may think of Eastern religions where meditation is about emptying your mind, not filling it with anything, but just emptying your mind. That's not the meditation of the Scriptures. The Scriptures call us to meditate. It's a meditating, and it's filling our minds with God's truth. It's filling our minds with His Word so that we see as we go through the, the ordinary moments of our day— I named it in the first service. When, when you've got a meeting that you're about to walk into and you're like, I have no idea how this is going to go or this is going to be really challenging, meditating on God's Word is in that moment you're bringing the truth back to your mind 
and you're reminding yourself what's true. I'm not the only one in this room. God is with me in this, right? He will supply me what I need. It's recalling what's true and then finding strength through the Spirit to live that out. Does that make sense? And there's a host of ways. It's just an everyday life, right? I don't know about some of you when you get home in the evening and you're tired and you may have family or friends that are there and you just want to kind of tune out and just watch a show on TV or whatever. Meditating on God's Word for me often when I'm driving home, I'm like, I've got a wife I want to love tonight and I've got kids at home and it reminds me, stay engaged. What does it look like for me to go and love and see how their day was? how I can love and serve them in the evening when I might feel depleted, right? Meditating on God's Word reframes how we go through those different moments of the day that we all find ourselves in. That's the call here. And he says, as we meditate on His Word, we become like a tree. And I love this imagery. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. When I think about that imagery of a tree planted by streams of water, there's a picture in the Old Testament, uh, and, and the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 37, it's a picture when the prophet Ezekiel is led around the temple, which is in Jerusalem, led around the temple by someone. And as he's led around the temple, all of a sudden from the sanctuary, the inner part, water begins to flow out of the doors of the temple. And as Ezekiel is walking around, the waters get higher and higher and higher to where he's not able to walk anymore because all of a sudden it's a river, a flowing river from the sanctuary of the temple. And in Ezekiel 37, verse 12, we read these words, "'On the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail.'" But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Let me tell you about the beauty of that picture. That water is coming from the throne of God in the temple. That that water is coming from God himself, which are the life-giving waters for you and me. And the picture of a tree being planted by streams of water, it's that we would plant ourselves in God's Word that really becomes to us this life-giving water that we drink deeply from. And as we do, friends, we come alive. That's the beauty. And so the question, too, is where have you planted yourself? Where, are you, where have you planted yourself? Where have you taken your roots to grow deep? Is it by water or is it by a well that's going to run dry, right? One of the beauties of the Psalms is they express such a a heartfelt worship of God from hearts that have been changed. In Psalm 119, verse 14, we read this, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. See, a lot of us know, some of us in here might know what great riches are. But the psalmist is saying there's something so much greater than that. And it's rejoicing in God. Then in verse verse 32 of Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I run in the path of your commands. Why? Because I know you've set my heart free. 
Friends, that's the invitation in Psalm 1, is that we would run to him because he is the only one who can set our hearts free. In this passage in Psalm, in Psalm chapter 1, or the first psalm, we read about one who's like a tree planted by streams of water, but then that one is contrasted to another. In verse 4, we read, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Those who have no regard for God are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, most of us, unless you grew up on a farm that had wheat, don't have a picture of what this really looks like. But the picture is this, is that you would take grains of wheat and smash them up and and place them in a shallow, uh, like a shallow dish, okay? And then you throw up, you throw it up into the air, and the wind blows, and the chaff are blown away, and all the good, the weighty stuff falls down back into the tray and is saved and is useful for something. It's a very vivid image, isn't it? As he says, the wicked, those who have no regard for God, they're going to be blown away. Like that chaff, they're going to be blown away. There's a lightness to them. They're not worth anything. I heard someone say this the other day, and it just struck me so much. So I want to share it with you all. He said this. He said, you don't want to get to the end of your life and find that your life was worth nothing. You don't want to get to the end of your life and find that your life is like the chaff, that when it's blown in the air, it's just blown away. It's not worth anything. And that's the reality of, of this news that we've got to wrestle, wrestle with, isn't it? Which path am I going down? A path that leads to death or a path that leads to life? But here's what we find as we look at these two paths. We find what the blessed life really is and where it comes from. Because when we know this, friends, we begin to see the path that we really want to go down. He writes about this in verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, a stark contrast, right? There are only two kinds of people in the world, the righteous and the wicked. There's no in-between. And so he's making something really clear here. And he says, the one who is blessed is the righteous one. That's the one who's blessed, the righteous one. Well, what does it mean to be righteous? That's what it means. It means to be innocent. It means to be holy. It means to be blameless. And you may be sitting there going, okay, that isn't me. Because if I'm honest with myself, I know what my life so often looks like, right? But here's the truth we need to see. Because of sin, we come into this world guilty. We come into this world filled with with, with blame because of the sin in our lives. You see, instead of giving ourselves to God, the Creator, right, who created us, instead of following Him, our natural tendency is to follow all the created things, We run to all kinds of other stuff to fill our lives that we think are going to satisfy, right? And Paul, the Apostle Paul makes it so clear in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Here's what he wrote. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You may be going, okay, Robert, (laughs) this is not very encouraging. But Paul says it, and I say it for a reason, because that's how we come into this world. We don't have a righteousness on our own. We cannot earn our way 
to God. We can't do enough good things for God to be pleased with us. None of us can do that. But here's where we find the grace and the love of God for us. Jesus came into this world to do something about the fact that no one is righteous. I want you to hear that. Jesus came into this world to do something for all of us who are not righteous. He came to die as the sacrifice for you and me. He took our sins on the cross, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness. Now, you want to talk about a God who longs that we come alive, a God who has good things for you and me, a God who longs that we live in joy, that we live with that inner contentment and peace. The only way we can is to receive what he did for us. Paul put it so clearly in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He wrote, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? We don't make ourselves righteous. He did it for us, friends. That's the good news. I think when we can grab hold of that reality... Whatever things come before us, when we know our standing with God is holy and pure and he sees us and delights over us with singing and that he is with us, friends, there's a joy that you and I can have and a peace for life. I love how one person put it, Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. Do you hear that? Is that not the good news? that we need to hear this morning, Jesus became what we are so that we could become what he is. Friends, that's the invitation this morning, isn't it? That's the invitation as we continue our journey. It's to say, that's what I want. And that see that Psalm 1 is an invitation to life. So friends, be aware Be cognizant of the messages that are coming in and what you're doing with those messages. Be aware how they are, how they are, um, how you're receiving them and how you're allowing them to form and shape your life. But then come and see the scriptures and allow that to be the greater voice every day so that we can remember and live out of this grace, right? Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are a God of incredible grace, that you would open our eyes to this psalm, that you would open our eyes to a way that that leads far from you, but then opening our eyes in a greater sense to the way of life in you. So, Father, in your merciful grace, lead us in your truth, that we would find it, see it, feed on it, meditate on it, and find that it is life for us, so that we would go out into this world to bring that truth to those that they would see what you have done for them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay.